All right, guys, so welcome to another edition of Bottom of the Bill. We have an amazing episode for you today. Yeah. Who, who we got, Bill? We got Joel motherfucking Cummins from motherfucking Humphreys, motherfucking McGee. There it is. I was How hoping you that? were going to be the motherfucking in there. It was perfect timing. Yeah, you need there. three motherfuckings. Yeah, for Whatever. sure. Uh, this was an amazing episode, guys. Um, Joel is obviously many of our uh, idols. I know that for me, I've, I've looked up to Humphreys for so long now. From a musical standpoint, a branding standpoint, all of it, they're just like... It was it was just amazing to have them on. Uh, There's a lot of good questions or a lot of good, uh, you know, feedback on how they got started and, um, you know, uh, a lot of. How do you stay fresh after 25 years in a jam band? Man, boy, do they have it down to a science because those guys all live like so far apart from each other. It is true. Yeah, they do. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and how uh, each of them came to join the band over the years and just it was just an awesome interview altogether. so, uh, yeah, before we get the episode started, though, we do want to just make mention of the fact that we have merchandise for sale. It's in the description of this video and all of our other videos. So make sure you check that out. We ask everybody to please subscribe to our channel or listen to it or follow and, and, and subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all that stuff just to keep the dream alive. Um, and then also... We have a fun little tidbit. We're welcoming back our boy Gene O'Neill from the road. He's been gone for about a month, uh, and he's got a really fun story that he tells at the end of the episode. It's pretty fucking amazing, actually. Yeah, it's uh, and it's regarding uh, one of the biggest names in hip hop, and uh, and Gene's fun interaction with them. So yeah. that's about as much as I'll give away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, anyways, enjoy the episode, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Bob and the Bill, Joel side, Gold side starts now. This is. Bottom of the bill. Where we talk about the modern grind of a musician. Album cycle. Oh, hold on, Bill. Give me a second, man. Because we don't know what we're talking Spotify about. Spotify playlist. You keep interrupting me. That's not how we discussed it. Just give me a second, man. We invite established artists Festival on a Festival lineups. Can I just get my stuff out real quick? We invite established artists on to share their strategy to success. Marketing strategy. The premier do-it-yourself podcast. Ah, screw it. This is Bottom of the Bill. All right, well, welcome everybody to another episode of Bottom of the Bill. This week we got Joel Cummins of Umphreys McGee and uh, many other bands out there. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show, man. We appreciate it. Anton, Billy, nice to chat with you guys today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So what's been going on, man? You guys got a pretty busy tour schedule coming up, it looks like. Yeah, we uh, just announced a bunch of dates for 2023, pretty much hitting all sides of the continent. And uh, that's that's always exciting when that happens. The tour kicks off on my birthday with two nights at the 930 Club in D.C. And we got our 25th anniversary shows at the uh, the Cap in Port Chester outside of New York City. So that's exciting, too. Awesome. Um, yeah, and before that, we've got Humble coming up and a New Year's run. And, uh, you know, between all that stuff, I've got a few uh, few solo shows. And um, I've got a duo show that I'm doing with uh, Jason Han that hasn't been announced yet. But uh, that's going to be in Denver. Yeah, I saw some pictures of that on your Instagram. Jason Han's such an awesome drummer and everything. Yeah, he's great, man. <clears throat> I played with him a few times. There's just a... 
uh, guy Joe, uh, Joe Marsnick out of uh, Midwest area. Sure. Yeah, I played with Joe. Okay, cool. Yeah, I did a, a little tour with him a while back ago, and uh, Jason Hahn was on the last gig that we did at Blue Jay Listening Room here in Jacksonville. And uh, what an honor it was to play with him. Like just that level of musicianship that those guys are so great, man. Yeah, he's um, he's an incredible player and a super fun guy to hang out with. And you know, he lives probably like uh, three miles away from me, so we're we're pretty uh, pretty close proximity wise uh, geographically, um, which makes things easy too. So I did actually we had a uh, rehearsal here before this last show that we did, and I just set up my keyboard rig right outside here, like it's under this tree, it was in the shade. I'm like, oh, this is great. Um, so. Yeah, it's nice to play with Jason. That's awesome, man. Um, so we kind of want to go back and, I mean, as far as uh, bands go, to me, Umphreys is like the the apex of what it means to be like a successful and just like uh, the staying power kind of band. You know, you guys have been out 25 years. Uh, so I can't even imagine the amount of work you guys have done to make all that happen so i'm curious guys want to go back and have how did you guys start this thing and what's kind of been the thing that helps you guys keep it going after 25 years i definitely think it's continuing to write new music and just challenge each other's players this uh humble event that we have coming up is a perfect example of that we have a a uh, segment of it called raw stewage and for those of you who uh know what the Jimmy Stewart terminology is basically kind of the idea of an improvisation. Sometimes it can have a little bit of an outline. Sometimes it's wide open. Um, but uh, the idea is that we take I, um, musical things that we played in the past from recordings that were improvisational ideas and the fans then vote on them. And then we try to turn them into songs and maybe combine a few that we think might work together, things like that. So, uh, the last couple weeks we've been, uh, you know, talking to each other, I actually flew to uh, the Midwest to go visit Brennan and Jake. And we worked on some of this stuff for a couple days to get the forms down and try to get like, you know, kind of an outline of a recording of, of what the arrangement would be like for these new songs. So we have five brand new songs that we're going to play at Humble as part of this, uh, this quarter. So it's, it's always an exciting thing. And the other fun part of it is that, you know, if you don't, uh, can I curse on here? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Okay. If you, if you don't fuck it up, you end up with five new songs that people like, you know, right. You've already done the litmus test. People have voted for the parts. They've said, this is what we like. <laughs> and so it's, uh, it's nice to kind of know that you can go into the songwriting process and know you're going to create something that people will be into. That's so genius, man. How, uh, how, how are people able to vote? Like where, where do they vote at? So it's all the ticket holders for the event that get to vote, right? And so they basically were just in communication with everyone via email and their voting sites that we uh, that we have up then. So people have voted so far uh, on what the quarters are that they wanted. It was this concept versus the idea of us uh, doing a set of covers. Um, what was the other one? Oh, it was uh, S2, which is 
kind of fan guided improvisation where people are texting and ideas and it's going up on boards for everyone to see. That's what I was telling you. Time. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the, the, the uh, Jamaica bus uh, ride that, that was one of those, wasn't it? Where someone had texted yeah. an idea. Yeah. That, that, that's one of my sure. favorite. I don't know if that's a Jimmy Stewart. That's not a Jimmy Stewart, but that's just a great, great uh, track. Yeah. So, so that is called uh, the S2 uh, Stu art is uh, oh, kind okay. of what we call that. Yeah. Sim- <laughs> similar nomenclature, you know? Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's a quarter that got voted in this year. So they voted on that first, then they voted on, uh, the, their favorite improvisational segments. We, we gave them 30 different ones to vote for. So our buddy, John McLennan, um, has always kind of headed this up as far as helping curate, uh, what the segments are for people to vote on. So like he and a few other super fans know this stuff so well that they're able to pull out these little segments of stuff from, you know, 2006, 2007, 2011, 12, wow. you know, 10, 10 years ago plus. So we have things all the way from 2006 to 2021 that people voted on for this. That is amazing. Um, yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's kind of uh, the thing that we've been working on right now. Um, you know, we also have a, a new album that just came out in July and that had 14 new originals that we hadn't played live, uh, before kind of start starting to put out singles and stuff. And, uh, we have two more to, to learn really on that one. And I'm hoping we're going to get those played in the, the near future. And then the, uh, the last thing that we had people vote on, at least so far is, uh, we decided we were going to play, uh, a classic Humphreys album. Actually, I mean, not necessarily classic. It, we, we gave them, I think, 10 albums to vote for between Songs for Older Women, which was our 1998 uh, live release, to Asking for a Friend, which we just put out. So, right. uh, so I can't reveal, uh, you know, what's happening on that. But that vote is ongoing. Uh, wow. And so so that's, that's also been a, a fun <laughs> thing to see what, what these fans really want to hear live. What's uh, What was kind of the... Uh, I guess the the Kickstarter for those kind of contests because you guys have a have been very innovative in your branding across the board, which I feel like has probably contributed. I mean, outside of you guys being an amazing band and great musicians and writing amazing songs, like you've been able to cultivate this culture within the music that I feel like jam bands do pretty well. But you guys have like have taken it to another level. I feel like what was kind of the the starting of all that when did you first kind of come up with these ideas and how did you know it was going to work or did you not know it was going to work there have been a few that didn't work but uh in general we try to use technology to help kind of foster the human connection so a lot of times technology can be this thing that that feels um very uh rigid or you know static so for us, we try to find ways where it helps, you know, kind of foster that connection between the band and the fans. Um, and fortunately, there are lots of new ways to do that now. So, you know, another big thing that really one of the first things that we started doing with this, Humble would be, you know, a huge one in our career. Also, this thing called headphones and snow cones where people can rent headphones at the show and they get the soundboard mix and a, uh, you know, a wireless pack so they can walk around the venue and, you know, and listen to it from anywhere. So that's something that for people who are into the super detailed sound and, you know, they don't want to hear the guy behind them that's partying and talking to his buddy or whatever, 
you get the headphones and all of a sudden you're like immersed in this super detailed live experience. But, you know, you still have the bass from the subs that are at the venue. So right. you're feeling some of it, but you're hearing more detail up here. Is there no delay or any kind of... Uh, oh, no. No, no, no. It's all... Yeah, the wait and see isn't an issue. So it's... it's Yeah, it's synced up. Exactly. That's awesome. I think another really cool thing that y'all used to do, I think it, it either fell apart or you're not doing it anymore, was the summer camp that used to uh, bring musicians in. Uh, I just always thought... Like no other band's ever done that before, and that was just the coolest thing. Summer school, yeah. summer school, not summer. Uh, sorry, yeah. summer camps and festivals. Summer school. Yeah, yeah. Um, we did that a couple times, and and honestly, there are lots of great musicians on our scene who are doing uh, events like that yeah. every summer still at that location. It's at uh, Full Moon Resort, I believe it's called, uh, and that's in upstate New York, kind of by Woodstock. Just an amazing, amazing place. Um, Henry, um, I'm not going to remember his last name now, but Henry, the guy who runs it, like just, he's a wonderful human being and just a really good dude. And so it's, it's a high quality thing from start to finish. Um, yeah, so that was, that was fun. We did it a couple of years. I don't think it's, uh, totally, you know, out of the realm of us doing it again at some point. Um, but you know, the other thing is that we're trying to play like a bunch of us have families now and stuff. So we're really trying to play like 75 to 80 shows a year. Um, and we were at about, you know, 90 to 95, I would say between 2010 to the, when the pandemic started. So been trying to cut back a little bit and, you know, we just, we love to play the live shows. So the, the summer school thing is definitely fun. And, you know, like I said, I think it probably will happen again at some point, but Right now, with all this new music that we have and new music that we're writing, we just we want to play. Yeah, totally. And uh, I'm a. It's always pr pretty impressive to me, like the like your arrangements, the songs you guys are composing, because that's what they are. Their compositions, and it's 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 amazing to see. Um, how, what's the writing process like for you guys? Is someone bringing an idea, or are you just getting together and jamming? Like, what's that look like? Yeah, it depends. Um, you know, sometimes we'll as far as like the more organic stuff that we find, sometimes it'll be an idea that we, uh, we came up with that we played at the previous night show and we're like, Oh, we got to do something with that. And then, you know, start from there with, uh, with, with everyone. We'll get together a few times a year with the full band and, and kind of work on arrangements and try to write stuff. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I'll go to just like I did here in the Midwest, go, you know, go visit Brennan and Jake and uh, try to write some new stuff a couple times a year um, I know Brennan and Jake are also working on their own stuff at home and then we'll kind of pass it around. You know, sometimes it's we're, we're trying to come up with an, uh, an instru instrumental arrangement and then we'll send it to Brennan and see if he can uh, write something vocally on top of that. That'll happen, too. But uh, we have a lot of I mean, there's there's a lot of half finished ideas, too. So part of what we kind of try to do is find you know, we're like, oh, man, this is such a cool section. It needs a home, right? So kind of have that backlog of, uh, of ideas that we can we can pick from, too, which is nice. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's always just trying to create. I think that's the most important thing. And a lot of times what I'll do here is I'll even just, like, sketch down ideas of chord progressions and melodies and not try to, like, fully develop them so that I can take them to, you know, Brennan or Jake and work on them with them, with them. 
Oh, that's cool. So you'll kind of just like work on some ideas and then like purposely, even if you're having an idea to finish it, you won't just so you can see what, what their input is. Yeah. Right. Like kind of, kind of flesh it out a little bit, but leave enough room that uh, we could go in there and, and change something. I, I like the idea of collaborative songwriting because I, I just feel like you're going to end up with more unique ideas uh, than you do if you're just trying to write something yourself. Yeah, totally, totally. It also kind of takes some of the uh, the burden, I think, off of the one person creatively. Because it's like sometimes I feel like if I'm writing something, it's it's always like more of a help than it is like like a burden, or it helps more just to get that other voice in there. Because like sometimes you can't see outside of that little narrow thing that you create for yourself. It's like you're so caught up in the thing that yeah, you're you doing. Tunnel vision or something about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love that. I love that aspect, and I think it. Uh, definitely shines through in what you guys do, like the, all the different voices, you know, you can kind of like see where, like where the creative, like where the creative stuff is coming from, you know, when, you, when you're listening to the music, I feel like. Well, uh, thank you, man. That's, that's cool. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, what, uh, uh, as far as like the, uh, the stuff that you're writing for yourself, um, how do you make the, 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 you know, like, how do you def- like make the differentiation between what you want to write for Umphreys and what you want to like write for yourself or, you know, other side projects that you might have going on? I'm really, when I'm writing music right now, I'm thinking about Umphreys. That's, that's what I'm, you know, that that's like my primary writing thing. So, you know, there I'm doing um, some, you know, solo and duo duo shows over the next couple of months. So, I'll play some Humphrey stuff from that. I'll play some uh, some classical. I'll do some jazz. I'll do some improvisation. Um, as I was talking about, my my neighbor let me borrow his uh, Udo Super Six back here, so I've got that and the Moog One for this uh, this next live thing. So um, I'll just you know get to experiment a bunch with that. But uh, but yeah, as far as the writing goes, I really just uh, want to write for uh, for Humphreys right now. That's awesome, awesome, <clears throat> and. Uh... As far as like, um, like that's, I'm curious. So you, you have this background in classical and jazz and all that stuff too. Where, where do you find the time to like kind of take on those different, uh, genres of music and like implement them into, because a lot of the time you don't see people that, that kind of go between both worlds. So there's a, there's a big separation, you know, um, how have sure, you, have you sure. worked it all into your playing? Well, honestly, the pandemic gave me the time to really dive back into some classical stuff that I'd wanted to play, but that I hadn't had time to do because, you know, we were always on the move and these sort of things, you know, there were a couple pieces where I'm like, this is going to take a few months to get this sounding good enough to actually perform it. And, uh, so yeah, honestly, that's what I'm doing. I just, uh, sit around here and I, I've got a huge amount of classical music that I love to, uh, I love to play as well. So I'll, I'll do that to kind of, uh, keep my hands, you know, in, in good shape and, and work on my dexterity. Um, I don't have as much of a background in jazz, but, you know, just, uh, just kind of, I would say more of a, uh, more of a, a dabbler in that. Uh, you know, I grew up studying classical and I got a degree in, in music theory, uh, from University of Notre Dame with a concentration in classical piano performance. So oh, wow. that's definitely that's definitely where my my roots were with that. And then, you know, I kind of got into Miles Davis, especially like the 
in a silent way, bitches brew stuff that that's some of my favorite music ever, ever recorded. And I think some of the best and, um, you know, some of the first real like jam music too, you know, yeah, um, totally. that doesn't, that doesn't get named. I feel like nearly enough when people are going back to say like, what are the origins, you know, the, the Grateful Dead, obviously like such a huge influence. I mean, this, the scene wouldn't be what it is without them, but that, those Miles bands, I think, were really responsible for kind of coming in from the uh, jazzier side. The Dead were coming in from more of the like Americana and blues side of stuff. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think a lot if you know a lot of the Dead stuff, even interviews with them going back, like you'll you'll they make a nod to a lot of the jazz uh, guys and like you know just pulling the improv sentiment from what those guys were doing and then kind of putting it into the context of the Americana and blues that, like the Dead was doing, you know. Mm-hmm. What classical pieces are you trying to learn? That's what I went to school for too, for classical piano performance. Cool, cool. Um, well, right now, let me think about this. What was the the last thing that I was doing? Um, I'm always working on some uh, some Claude Debussy uh, materials. So, you know, the girl with the flaxen hair is one that I've been uh, working on recently a little bit. I went back to the uh, the prelude of Pour Le Piano. Um, I hadn't played that one for a little while, so I just picked that one up the other day a little bit doing that. Um, I've really been playing probably the most this uh, this Bach Jig uh, that is all about the like the hands crossing over. You want me to play a little bit of it? Yeah, just sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Since we got the piano here, why not? Um, so this one's kind of crazy, but this is also a fun one to, to practice on the with the metronome, too. So you'll notice the left hand is just going back and forth. Oh, I think I know what song this is already. So nice. that's, that's, there you go. There's a, there's a little part of that, but that's, that's, that's a really good one that I've been doing just to, just to work on, you know, consistent timing and stuff. So, um, you know, a lot of the things that I'm doing when I'm home are also just kind of mechanical and trying to, um, just make sure that my hands are in shape for when it's time to play a three hour show, you know? No, I feel yeah. you. I do the the hand and exercises like every yeah, the every hand day. And stuff, sure. Yeah, he knows. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the, the big exactly. thing is like, you know, as a keyboard player, these two fingers, fingers four and five, are yeah. always the weakest. Yeah, so you course. gotta strengthen those up. I still I still haven't <laughs> uh I remember like trying to learn some Bach piece and I had a trill with my four and five and they were just I just can't do it. With my left hand, sorry, there's no way I can do a trill. I don't know how Bach did it, but yeah, it's a yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm Well, a- he was also playing on um, you know, organs and harpsichords. Think about how light those yeah, are. That's probably those how keys are. Yeah, that's probably so <laughs> Yeah, I, that's uh that's wild, man. I I I'm notorious for uh just sitting backstage or like just off stage or whatever before a gig and just uh sometimes to a fault just like running stuff uh to the point where i get on stage and i've like actually just worn myself out and now i'm like oh this is now my fingers are kind of like working overtime like there was that sweet spot that i hit and because sometimes you get in your head about stuff or whatever uh then you're you're overcompensating and then you get on stage you're like oh now my fingers don't want to work the way they're supposed to because i just 
killed myself. But that's cool to to, to know that the, the you guys are all still like working out like that because a lot of musicians I feel like kind of don't uh, you know don't I've heard interviews with like with like Warren Haynes and stuff and Warren's like one of my favorites of all time you know but I've heard inter- interviews with him is yeah I don't want before a show at all I just go on stage and during sound check run a couple of things real quick put my guitar down and then just go and hit it and I'm just like that's fucking wild to me <laughs> like, yeah no doubt no doubt we um we typically like the the Umphreys day especially these most recent ones we'll have probably half the time a rehearsal before sound check so we'll work on stuff that like isn't ready to play up on stage yet you know or work on vocal arrangements and stuff like that backstage so we have a little mini setup of our uh, rigs backstage so oh, that's cool we're not just like locked into sound check as our only practice time right? that's cool um because stuff breaks too you never know when half of sound check is going to be spent trying to find what is this you know demonic sound coming from uh the the, uh, the bass mic for some reason right yeah. um <laughs> So, uh, and actually it was just one of Stasis pedals. That's what, that's what yeah. the sound was. <laughs> it's bass players no. and their pedals. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, and then we'll, we'll sound check and then we'll have like, we, we like to have at least like a 15 to 20 minutes, sometimes 30 if we need it, warm up, uh, like an hour before the show. Cause then I feel like you walk out on stage and you already feel like you're in song three or four. I don't like walking out and feeling like, oh, my hands aren't responding to exactly what I want them to play. That's no fun. Totally. What's yeah. a, what's the Humphreys McGee warm-up look like backstage? Well, mostly just going over key sections and parts. Okay. If there are transitions between tunes, maybe talking about that, how we're going to get from one thing to another, um, who's going to give a cue for something, who to watch for, you know what I mean? That sort of stuff. With six people in the band, it, it can be really challenging to have everyone on the same page. So, yeah, of course. you know, we we have talkback mics, too, so that in the moment we can remind each other if, if like, something's going to happen and, you know, we I want just, everyone to know. I was just hoping it was like, yeah, it was a ritual. Like, you're always going to play, like, Boston foreplay a long time for six minutes. And then you go out <laughs> on stage and crush it, right? It's it's <laughs> totally just a uh, – it's whatever's necessary at this point, you know? And, yeah. and so – Sometimes it's an entire song. I mean, a lot of times it's like, you know, in the last few months as we've been playing all this new material, we're just cramming and trying to get reps in of our new songs so that they feel as natural as possible when we play them out on stage. Um, so that that's honestly, that's with new music. I think that's that's certainly the focus of our of our rehearsals. And then we'll go, like I said, we'll go through tricky figures of older songs that we feel like we need to play as a band together to make sure it's tight. Right. Um, I just saw you guys at, uh, here at fool's paradise in St. Augustine a few months back. That was a phenomenal show, by the way, it's it first show, first time seeing you guys live. I've been a huge fan for a long time. Yeah, I just, awesome. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I saw the first night you guys went fucking deep on the prog side, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then the next night you guys kind of, did more from what fans tell me a more traditional I'm free set, which I thought was really cool too. But something that I like that you guys do, which really creates for a different experience live is that you'll play like a verse and a chorus, and then you go off into these tangents. And I'm curious how much of that is improv. How much is that of that is you guys working out new concepts? Uh, is it composed? Is it just figuring stuff out? Like what's, what's kind of the mindset behind that? 
I'd say on any given night, probably 35 to 40% of what we're doing on average is just happening in the moment. Sometimes there'll be a situation where it's like, okay, this is an open-ended thing, but we know where it's going to go. Like we know, we know what we're getting to. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, a lot of the time it's just kind of, let's see what happens. And then sometimes we end up going back to the, you know, kind of, uh, making it a, a sandwich of an idea and sometimes it'll go off into something else. And it's like, let's get away from whatever the previous feel was and try to hit something that's completely new. So um, we're kind of thinking about that as we construct the set list each night. And, you know, we're thinking about, um, we have a lot of songs with vocals too. So I think that's important. We want to make sure that we play stuff that people can sing along, but you know, like we're, we're, we're an improvisational jam band for sure, but we also have a lot of compositional things that we've done over the years that we still want to play live. So, and I think our fans still want to hear some of these older compositional things too. So that, that's kind of the, the nice thing for us is that we can, you know, introduce a lot of new music, but simultaneously mine the old catalog too. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think that's the reason why people come to see you like 50 shows, 60 shows like that, because it's going to be a new show every night with the, the jam and the improv. But yeah, it's the best totally. of both worlds, because then you got like those bangers that like you've been composing for, damn, two, 25 years. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah, we're almost there. Almost there. <laughs> no, no, November uh, 2nd of 1997 is the first time that the f- original four members played together in front of an audience. Oh what God. was that show like? <laughs> so it was actually um, like a, I, I'm not going to call it a recital, but it, it was a performance that was part of my, uh, part of, part of my credit in Notre Dame. So I did one set of, uh, of just solo piano material. And the second set that I did was people coming up and it was all improvisation. And so it started out with a couple different people. And then the, I think the the show basically ended with about 15 or 20 minutes of the original members of Humphreys. We played a little jam called Dear Lord that we sometimes still play. Uh, it's just a little instrumental. It's like it's like this. Just like a a, one, a major one in four thing. That's all it is. But uh, yeah, so that was like the that was the first song that we we ever played That's <laughs> together. So cool. And um, from from that point on, you guys started getting regularly or getting together and writing or we uh, well, we weren't even a band yet at that point. Um, Mike and I, the original drummer, were in a band called Stomper Bob and Brendan and Ryan were in a band called Tashi Station. So probably about two weeks after that, they told us they wanted to get together for dinner. We went to this place called the Mishawaka Brewing Company, which had uh Pretty, uh, pretty decent burritos and like insanely cheap pitchers on Tuesday nights. That nice. was the Tuesday. Every, everyone, everyone had wicked hangovers on Wednesdays all the time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we went out to dinner with Mike and I went out to dinner with them and they were like, we'll quit our band. If you guys quit yours, we feel like you guys want to keep playing music after college. We do too. And our bandmates don't, you know, and, uh, we, we were, the band that we were in was not going to continue. So we were, of course, like, yeah, let's let's do this. And, you know, we kind of talked about what kind of music we wanted to make and what what 
you know, what music that we liked and, and we all listened to. I mean, we knew some of this because we'd hung out and had like late night drunken jams in each other's basements over the, over like the past year leading up to this. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that was kind of when we made the call and then, uh, Mike and I went home and told our bass player. I also lived with our bass player of our other band, which that, that was not ideal. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, yeah, we went home and told him, we're like, we're done with this band. We're starting this other thing. And like all of the band members were cool, except for that one guy that I lived with. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we went, we went over to, uh, uh, Brennan's place the next day and we're like, all right, we did it. We quit. And they were like, oh shit, you guys actually did it. We're like, <laughs> fucking kidding me. We're like, all right, all right, we'll call our guys right now. Oh my God. It's <laughs> so good. Yeah. So, um, so then we basically just, you know, wrote music and rehearsed for uh, all of December of 1997 and the first part of January of 97 and then played our first show January 21st, 1998. And the secret to our uh, early success was this. We had four members in the original band and we were all in different classes at Notre Dame. So I was the oldest, Brendan second oldest, Ryan third oldest, and Mike fourth. So we had, um, it was sophomore, junior, senior, and I was second senior year. Uh, I stuck nice. around for a little extra, but, uh, but that it was great because we all had different groups of friends. And so immediately it was like, Oh, we played a show and 150 people showed up. Oh, you know? that's look awesome. at that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so early success then. Yeah. That's, that's... yeah. The, the, the later success, it kind of petered off from there, but <laughs> yeah, man, we were, we were hot in early 98. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. I love those. That's good stuff. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, Sorry, I was going to say, so when did you pick up Jake and everything? Uh, Andy joined the band in the summer of 98. He started sitting in with us like two or three months after we started. Um, he was in school in Bloomington in Indiana uh, at the time oh, yeah. while we were, in, we were in South Bend at Notre Dame. So uh, he, he, tra- he transferred to IUSB up uh, where we live and moved up. Jake joined the band in 2000. We were going to ask him to join the band in 1999 and we were out on the road. We did one summer tour without him as just a five piece. And we heard that his uh, bass player and his uh, band, Ollie Baba Stihini, had left. And we were like, oh, when we get back to South Bend, we should talk to Jake about joining our band. You know, we went and we went, and we would always go see Ollie Baba's play. And uh, Brendan, I, I remember him one night at Mickey's Pub, you know, sitting there with me watching him. And he's like, we're going to ride Ollie Baba's coattails all the way to the top. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. So uh, we've told Jake that, of course, since then. He thinks it's hilarious. Of course. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we got back home from that tour and they had found a new bass player. Like, oh, man, can't do it now. So, uh, so we waited. And a year later, that guy was like, well, I just want to do studio stuff. I don't want to like tour and play live shows and, we're like, we can't let Jake get, you know, escape again here. We got to get him. So we asked him if he wanted to uh, do the dual guitar thing. And, you know, we were like, listen, bro, we love your songs too. So any Alibaba songs you want to bring into the Umphreys catalog, let's do it. You know? So it was, it was a really cool kind of assimilation because it wasn't just here, join our band. We were like, come join our band and let's learn your songs too. And then let's start writing stuff together. Totally. Yeah. 
And how many of those songs from from, from his band are are you guys still doing any of those songs or work? Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, plenty. Um, I mean, from the earliest ones like '40s theme, Syncopated Strangers, Kabump. Um, '40s '40s theme is that old? No kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's um, awesome. Party and Peeps was a was an Alibaba's tune originally. Got your milk. Um, I'm sure there's there's more that I'm not. Th- oh, Ringo, I think was an Alibaba's tune. Wow, cool. Yeah. Wow. So you know, some of these we added parts. Wa- uh, water was called something else, but it was it was similar. There are some parts from that we used. I think uh, I think even Molshe's Odyssey is an Alibaba's tune, and then Tinkles was an Umphrey's tune, and then we of course recorded Molshe's and Tinkles together on the album. Nice. That's how you combine the yeah. two. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking um, of uh, combining the two, how did you all get started doing these uh, mashups that have gained extreme popularity with that Zonky album you put out? Yeah, we first heard, I think it was Ryan who heard, um, I want to say like Z-Trip. I, I think maybe the first mashup that we did was his Come Together and Closer. That's my Come Together uh, the Beatles. A thousand yeah. times. That's my favorite. I told you, you got to hear it. But it, that's not that's not on Zonky, though. Is so, it? No, because that's not ours. That's a cover of oh, Z-Trip's mashup. I didn't know so that. So that, that gave us the idea, though, that it was like, oh, we can write our own. We don't oh. have to just go find other people's mashups. So for about nine or ten years for Halloween, then, we would, we would come up with like four or five. So we probably have about 35 or 40 of them total that we've written. And I think 11 or 12 of them are on Zonkey. That's awesome. Um, so Zonkey, um, I've, I've just got a couple minutes left here. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, but I want to tell you some cool things about the creative process of Zonkey because it was way different than any album we'd ever done before. Um, since we were making our own arrangements of these, we had to figure out how to like get the, the tracks down to do it. So Jake and I, went in and put down scratch tracks um, over the live versions of these songs that we'd already played. So we'd done most of them to a click track, right? Right. Um, But we had to figure out what was the best way so that people could listen to it and figure out the arrangement in the studio, right? After the fact. So we went in and did that, played to our our live arrangements of them, and, and the big challenge was we felt like with the live arrangements, most of the time we never got them right. It was so hard to, you had to unlearn parts from a song that you knew so well. Yeah, right. Change it, put something new on, and then think about all these different vocal things that are happening. There's just so much to remember. It was like, it was a really, it was like a huge mind fuck. You know? yeah. so, um, so it was much easier. We're like, okay, if we do this in the studio, we can actually like nail all the stuff, get the har- vocal harmonies, like, a lot of times we didn't even have enough singers to cover all the parts that we wanted to sing and um, to do it live. Right. You know? And uh, so anyway, so Jake and I went and recorded all of our parts to it. So enough so that Chris could then go back in and we erased the live stuff. Then Chris went in and put the drums in and then we added the bass and wow. then we redid the keys and the guitar on top of that. So we yeah, used recorded yeah, so, it twice basically. <laughs> Yeah, we, we yeah, we did record it twice. But the other fun thing was that we went in and we like got super analytical about getting these tones and sounds as spot on as we could, right? So that was really fun to go back and like pick out all these keyboard parts and and stuff that I threw in there. 
And I, I was just blown away with, for the most part, how simple these ideas were. <laughs> you know, I know. Like, yeah, you think they're so big and crazy, like uh, uh like hollow notes or whatever, something like that. Like you think you'll never be able to learn. And you're like, oh, that's all it is. You're it's, right. It's kind of like you lose that magic when you learn songs sometimes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah well, uh, but I mean, it teaches you as a composer that sometimes it's better to keep ideas simpler. Don't think you have to like blow someone away with the complexity of a riff. Right. I, I totally agree. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. It's cool to do <laughs> once in a while. You know, but not all the time. And I right. do that um, on purpose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, but it's funny. Like you know, we were trying to figure out which ones uh, were going to be on the album. I think there might have been one more that we recorded that we didn't use. And, um, Can't rock my dream face was the one that was like, we were like, I don't know if we should do it or not. And I was like, guys, we definitely got to do it. Like it's. And, and this was, of course, one of the ones that I'd arranged. So I, I had a little bias involved in it. Yeah. But the uh, the funniest part about it now is you go and look on our Spotify, and it is our most streamed Spotify track. Good for you. It works out sometimes. Yeah. What's yeah. the What's the Can't Rock My Dream? What are those two mashups? Uh, it's three. So oh, three, yeah, it's three, uh, right. it's weekend. Can't feel my face. That's right. Michael Michael Jackson rock with you and Fleetwood Mac dreams. Yeah, that's a that's one of my favorite mashups. Honestly, I know it's probably the most popular one but yeah I, I love that one so much oh it's so fun i mean i got a lot of great like synth parts and keyboard parts in that and the uh i love chris's vocals on that chris did such a nice job with the uh the weekend vocals and honestly jake uh, his take on dreams is equally outstanding yeah really really enjoy that one uh well joe we'll, we'll let you go man we, we know you gotta take off thank you so much for 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 spending some time with us so and and hanging out we really appreciate it yeah thank you very much and when is this gonna air uh, I think when's Unvolg happening? I think that weekend, like November 11, 12. Yep. I think somewhere either that or the the weekend week before. But yeah, yeah it's for like, sure. It's like two weeks. All right. Yeah, it's like two weeks from like this Friday. I think. Is there so. is there any way you could play us off with Cemetery Walk Part Two? I could do a little of that for you. Hey! <laughs> Take you out on that. That's my favorite, dude. All right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah girl. thank you so much yeah, for that. Man. Playing Pretty in nice. my living room, basically, right? <laughs> sort there you go. There yeah. you go. All right, man. All right, guys. Well, thanks for t- thanks for uh, having me on the show, Anton, yeah. Billy. Yeah, pleasure, yeah, pleasure chatting with you both. Hope Absolutely, you thanks, soon. man. Thanks so much, Joel. All right, all right, bye. All right, so we are welcoming our boy. Gene O'Neill back, Jello Gene, Crash Bandicoot, Crash thank Bandicoot. Thank you very all much. All the fun stuff. Gene's been gone back. for about what? For a month, basically, yeah, from the episode, from the show, it's, it's been like a month since I've been back on the show. It's been a yeah. month. He's taken around the country and back. Yeah, he's been around the country. His first time, our little Jello Jean going on the road for the first time for <laughs> longer adorable. than for longer than a week. Yeah, yeah. He's away from home. 
Yeah. Uh, so I, I miss you guys so much. We miss you too, bro. Thank you for coming back and thank. I didn't you. think he was coming back. Can I be honest with you? Right yeah. Now? I thought for sure you were out. I thought you were like, well, be that out was too. cool, but I'm actually just gonna be a, you know. I'm just gonna go to go, do cool stuff. I was gonna like, say like just you know like have a career. Yeah. <laughs> Let's can do I, something with my life. Can I also thank you for not crashing the the, the first episode back? We really appreciate yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I did my best. I tried really hard, but I you know I've just gotten practice. I guess I don't know. All right, so you got some tales from the road you want to tell us? We're I, excited to hear this. I do. I specifically after this happened, I I messaged Chris and I was like, I've got a great story to tell on the podcast. So um so I was in uh, Louisville, Kentucky for Louder Than Life Festival. I was running patch on one of the festival stages so my whole job was just to make sure that all of the microphones are plugged in the right place right and the beginning of the story was we had a band that day called or i won't even say what that band was the other band they don't matter they were a bunch of dicks and they were <laughs> they, they were really difficult to get on stage they had like 18 gajillion percussion instruments and i kept asking them like hey how many like drums are like how many toms are on this kit and they'd be like oh three and then i'd come up to them three minutes later and i'd be like how many toms are in this kit and he'd be like oh five and then i'd come back later and be like okay we only need to mic up two and i'm just like I don't but they pissed me off and I was in a shitty fucking mood I was in a shitty fucking mood so I get them off stage and then I start prepping on stage for body count ice tees metal band right <laughs> so and it was it was a bit of a stressful one of the stage hands like right before I'm about to switch over it goes oh hey during by the way during the last changeover I fucked up and I started like unplugging all of the preset body count shit and I had to fix that but anyway I get them on stage and I'm pissed off I'm flustered frustrated i'm trying to get into my 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 work box to get my flashlight because it's dark on stage and there's these mic stands in the way and there's this guy standing right in my way he's just like in the only free space available so i'm like hey man can you like can you move over a little bit can you step aside and he takes one tiny three inch step to the right and i and i'm at this point i'm just done and i'm like no dude i need you to back the fuck up okay i just need you to get out of here i need you to go anywhere else i need this whole space right now so i can do shit okay and he, so he, he had his like phone on his case. He grabs his phone and he kind of like, you know, goes away to the side. And then about 10 minutes later, I'm sitting, you know, over by the monitor console. I'm talking to my coworker and I'm like, check it out. That's fucking iced tea over there. Oh. And she goes, and she goes, yeah, man, he's been on stage for a minute. I was like, really? I had no idea. And she was like, yeah, that was the guy who you told to back the fuck up about <laughs> 10 minutes ago. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> just die i just i just I, and i have to like i'm like i need to walk off stage right now there's because he's like right over there and like people have asked me like has anyone said like did he say anything to you did he and say, i'm like did you say you need to say this is personal not business <laughs> this is, right? people are like did he say anything and i'm like no because if he did i would have looked at his face and realized what i had done like and just the horror but even better no it, it gets better because i found out because i immediately walk off stage and i have to go take a breath like i have to take a minute because i just accidentally told ice tea to get the fuck out of my grill <laughs> and like, oh my God. It's like yeah, what am i gonna do so so I but I found out today at lunch I was talking with and he was like yeah you know fucking Ice-T called you out on stage and I was like no he didn't and I was like yeah he was on stage and he was like all these fucking 30 year old motherfuckers back here that don't think I'm shit I'm about to beat you up like a 65 year old man <laughs> <laughs> what 
Oh my god! And my coworker's like, "Yeah, no, I've got it on an SD card somewhere. I'll pull it off for you." And I'm like, "You need to find that footage for me right now." <laughs> like, did did she find it for you? No, I, he hasn't found it for me yet. No, he hasn't found it for me yet. He just told me about it today. So I was like, I was like, "You got to go find that. I got, oh, I need, I need that." Because he saw it because he was running video and he was like, "Huh, I don't know." And he had no idea this had happened. And then after the show, he he was like, "Oh shit, that's what fucking." I told one of my other coworkers about it, and he was like, "Oh, that was Ice T. You did that too." I was like, "Yeah." And he like, nice knowing you, dog. Like, yeah. <laughs> For uh, my 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 question is, how does it feel to be called thirty years old, Gene? Yeah, I know it's really nice. It's <laughs> yeah. really really nice. It's nice. No, it's, I mean, it's not. Oh, uh, you're it's being, fine. You I mean, feel no, old? I'm not. No, not really. He was being uh, a, he was being he, sarcastic. I, I I I take it as a compliment because like I, I guess I don't know. He thought I was young, but he he wasn't like this film some fucking punk ass kid. Like at least he thought yeah. I was a, a man. Yeah. <laughs> True. Did you did you apologize? to him uh, no. no 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 not at all no no because at that point i was like i like because i was already very upset from like what had happened earlier and then i was told that and i was like i've got to I, I need to walk off stage Did you get I, it? I can no guarantee way. i can guarantee you that if you would have walked up to him to I mean, try like, to apologize he probably would have knocked you out yeah, yeah, I can like, guarantee that. There's no way I could have gone up to him and been like, well, because if I would have looked like again, if people were like, hey, did he say anything? I would have just like if I would have like in the moment realized what have happened, I would have just been like, oh, my God, I would have been so flustered. Like, I'm so sorry, Mr. Uh, T. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I'm so, I'm, I'm so uh, sorry, uh, Mr. Like, T. <laughs> yeah. Mr. T. Yeah. You don't you don't fuck with it. He's got law and order money, dude. He'll oh, put totally. you under. Oh, totally. Yeah. How do you still have a job? It was so funny because during his show, like he was like he was like, I know I play a cop on TV, but fuck those guys and go straight into cop killer. Like, <laughs> like, like, so funny. So Ice T, if you if this somehow reaches you, it won't. I'm so sorry. Please don't, please don't beat me up. Well, well, you know, our, our we next might get syndication on USA, and he might watch it. That's our, a law and order. No, 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 but our, until then, we'll call Joel back and see if he can get it. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. You should you should write him a letter, dude. Write him a no. What we'll do? A heartfelt letter. What, yeah. What, I'm so sorry. He probably I told would you love that. Fuck up. No, no. What we'll do. Is we'll get Ice T on the podcast. Oh my god! And we'll have, and then we'll have him confront Eugene about the situation. I swear to God, we'll, we're, we're gonna give you. As soon as he comes on, he's just be like this motherfucker. Like, yeah, make you fight Ice T. Yeah, that, that's some good content for well, you. Hang right on, there. go back that's to the beginning. So you told him to move once, and he didn't move enough. Didn't, and then yeah. you yelled and then, at him. And then I told him that what. What were the words exactly that you said? It was something I, I don't rem I don't I don't remember one hundred percent, but it was something along the lines of Nah, dog. I need you to back the fuck up. Oh. I, I need this whole space. And like, then what did what did he do? He just he so just... he was he, he was sitting there and he had like so like there was like there was like a big case right here. My case was right here. Some mic stands, small open space. He's standing like right here. He had his phone on a little like one of those little spider leg tripods that was standing right there, and he was doing something on it. And I was just kind of like, "Can you step aside?" And he kind of like moved to the end of the case like literally six inches to the right which was nothing and then i was just like no i need you to get the fuck out of here and he like just kind of like paused for a second and then just grabbed his phone and walked away like he wow. just walked off like you weren't a, you weren't worth his time there's a dude. part of me that he was just kind of like this motherfucker but then like i you know he i think he realized i was working and then just kind of like moved but like that's the other thing that people say is to be like nobody fuck with gene anymore because he's told ice to back the fuck up and he got <laughs> out of the way and i was like that was not this because. whole story it is amazing 
but at the same time, it just sounds to me just like another fucking grumpy sound guy, like story. Oh like, no, it's the totally same. It's was. just the same. Yeah. So did thing. you totally did you was. get him his drink tickets afterwards or what? <laughs> did you let him <laughs> yeah. know that you've been there for eighteen hours? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I totally told him. I'm be like, listen, man, I'm doing your fucking shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're nothing without me. No, that's no. what you should have said. <laughs> <laughs> What a fucking wild story, yeah, man. man. That was it. That was well, it. Well, we're happy but, that you're here to tell it because that could have gone a very yeah, different direction. It definitely could have. All my coworkers were like, man, if Ice T would have beat the shit out of you, I mean, I would have felt bad, but I would have videotaped it. Like, yeah. And I was like, I would have been like with a black eye, been like, hey, can you send that to me? That would have been. And we'll put it on the bottom <laughs> of the Bill YouTube page for yeah, uh, exactly. some behind the scenes content. We'd, we'd be in here and be like, and now a clip. Like, and, just, yeah. like, and then he called you out on stage, too. That's and then hilarious. he called me out. Yeah, I had no idea about that until today you're famous bro you're famous yeah, yeah i've made it that's what my my one cover said he's like you've made it now you're fine like, yes. I'm like you're, you're gonna be good how many people guy. were at that festival oh uh a fuck ton um i mean at our stage at any given point i don't know maybe like i don't know like maybe five to ten thousand but i mean like there was i know for when the night that kiss played which wasn't on our stages the night that kiss played there was like sixty thousand people there god damn i think it wow. was insane no it was crazy like when tenacious d was on stage like that place was slammed and it was like it was wild looking out i'll you know i'll show you guys all pictures later but it was it was it was so cool it was crazy and tenacious d was just as a comic they're they were amazing amazing like you know still to this day have like energy like their kids like they're out there like like having an absolute blast and that was another dope thing because i was standing there and it's like i get to get kind of close to people but like one of the production guys for jhd walks up to me he was like hey man Kyle Gass needs to walk off stage when he do the bit where they quit the band and he needs to come sit somewhere and I've got a stage I've got a chair that I sit in backstage and it's like I'm standing right next to him he goes can you sit right here and I was like yeah, dog. Yeah, that's yeah, that that's fine. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so, Cage like, can sit next to me. Cage can fine. sit. So like, he comes and sits <laughs> literally like like right here. Like I'm literally like we, it's like this close. Like you know what I mean? And I have to just be cool and just like <laughs> pretend he's not there. And I'm standing. This is another fun story. And I'm standing there and I'm looking around and I'm trying to just not look at him. Like you know. So I look like kind of downstage this way and there's like a woman that's like on these other side of these cases and I'm like she looks so familiar. Was it Ice T? It was. <laughs> yes, I saw this woman. I thought it was Ice T. Yeah. I I just fucking see. No, I see this woman, and I'm like, "Who is that?" I was like, "She looks really familiar." And then, like, 30 seconds later, Jack Black was like, "And now we'd like to do a song with one of our great friends, the lead singer of Evanescence, Amy Lee." Oh, and wow. she runs God. on stage, and I was just like, "I, this isn't real." That's so. where I recognize her. Yeah, wow. I was like, I was like, I recognize her. I was looking across the field at the video wall on the main stage, and I saw her playing <laughs> over there. That's rare. Like, yeah, it was it was dumb, but yeah, I had a great time. And I, but I, I am really glad to be back. Being on the road for that long is uh, it's a lot. It's How a lot. long are you back for? I'm back, I don't know, for whenever they feel like sending me out again. Yeah, I'll probably, be, a, probably a week. Probably, so. Well, <laughs> I'm not doing Hulu, which is unfortunate. I was really bummed about that. Hey, but, me um, neither. Yeah. Um, but me neither. So it's well, all good. Yeah. We'll we'll all we'll all do our uh, we're not at hula party together. There we um, go. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Hell yeah. Well, welcome back, bro. Welcome home. Thank Happy you. to have you. Yeah. And uh, great story. Yeah. Thanks. For sure, Appreciate man. it. I'm glad. I'm glad we could get it. I, I wanted to save it for for on camera. Yeah. yeah. All right, boys. Let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Right. Later. Adios, muchachos. Peace out.